0: Well, folks, we're back on the last episode in The Reef. I promised you that Nick Nolenberger, the voice of the San Jose Barracuda, would be on the show. And I did not lie. I may have lied the last time Nick was on the show when I said, we'll see you after the holidays. But I never specified which year's holidays that we'd have Nick back on. So fast forward a year. Nick, welcome back in The Reef. Uh, I heard you had quite the adventure uh, as you embarked over from Tucson to Cedar Park, Texas. So uh, I'm glad that you're safe and frosty. I, I realize I'm wearing a sweatshirt with like 50 degree weather, uh, a little more frigid where you're at. But how are you doing, Nick?
1: I am doing good. I am. I, I'm happy to be safely and securely in my hotel room. Um, yeah, a little bit different weather than what we were dealing with in Arizona. Um it's been in the, the low 80s in Arizona. It's been perfect. And now we are out here in, uh, in Austin, just outside of Austin in Cedar Park. And it is cold. It is, it is frozen. The roads are frozen. Um, we just made our way back from, from the airport to the hotel. And um, it was about a 20-minute drive. And uh, no word of a lie, probably the scariest bus trip I've ever taken in my life. So um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was terrifying. We, we got on a, a big overpass that crossed a freeway, and it was about, I would say, a couple hundred feet off the ground at least, and we had a box truck in front of us that was completely sideways, and it was inching along, just trying to get traction enough to get up and over this overpass. Again, I mean, 200 maybe be, might be an understatement on how high we were, um, and we are in a bus, um, and we are slipping and sliding, trying to inch along. Um, so we did get over that, which that was terrifying. Uh, and then we're we're kind of humming along. We're about two miles away from uh, the hotel. and all of a sudden in the distance, we see some some cop sirens and flashing lights. And so our bus driver was probably going a little bit too fast. You could hear all the players in the back saying, "Hey, slow down, slow down." And she starts trying to slow down, and all of a sudden' we're, we're going sideways. So, Uh, luckily she was able to tap the brakes enough and we were able to slow down and then from that point i think we we had an average speed of about five miles per hour for the next mile so um everybody got off the bus uh you know uh praying and and pointing up to the skies and just appreciative to be off the bus and safe so uh just adventure to get out here to texas to say the least but happy to be here excited for the games this upcoming weekend and um it uh, we are expect to have weather all weekend. So uh, the the bus driver said it could get as low as like two or three degrees. So uh, <laughs> they're not they're not kidding around down here in Texas. So yeah,
0: a little bit yeah. Surprising. Go figure. <laughs> First off, isn't it funny that a bus full of hockey players, ice hockey players, who are uh, you know this game is really based on speed these days, and ice hockey players telling people to slow down. It's a little too fast. That's ironic. Yes. Um, yeah, I have a cousin actually out in Texas right now, and she sent me a screenshot last night. of uh, in, She's in Dallas, and it was two degrees, so I definitely believe that it's a little frosty for you. But um, I, I might as well ask here, because Nick, you the last time we really talked about uh, travel with coronavirus and everything, um, it looked like you were going to be broadcasting the games from the arena in a similar setup to what the Sharks broadcast team with Randy Hahn and Brett Hedekin have. Um, but it, it's it's pretty cool to see that you're on the road. But I assume that you're in the same kind of restrictions that the players are where you're kept to the hotel. Uh, how How is that all going?
1: Yeah, we're getting tested every single day. Everybody has their own hotel rooms. Um, we have multiple buses. Normally, we have just one bus. We have multiple buses that allows for everybody to have some distance in between each other. Um, they have gone above and beyond to try to keep everybody as safe as possible. It's been pretty impressive since I've been with the team over the last couple of weeks, just to see how extensive they've gone and how in depth they've gone to try to make sure everybody's safe and try to get, you know, this season off the ground and try to play as many games as possible. Clearly, clearly, excuse me, there was an emphasis um, by the organization, by the league to play this season um, to have 31 teams and only have three of them not playing, I think um, is extremely impressive. Um, And it also, I think, um, gives you an idea on how important these NHL teams view the American League, how important they view development of their prospects. Um, You know, we have a couple of young guys, and and I know you sent me some questions leading into this on what you wanted to talk about, and we will in just a bit touch on some of the young guys. But, you know, in a normal season, a lot of these players would be going back to college or major junior, and with just one of the three chl leagues playing right now we're seeing some of these young players drafted in the last draft two months ago getting pro games which is fabulous from our standpoint getting to see them firsthand. but we have a lot of players right now we have 32 players on our roster right now before the the recalls this afternoon so we have quite a few that's a lot more it's almost at least 10 more than we're we're normally rolling with so if you'd imagine a lot of guys are sitting out so to to be together to get valuable ice time to get valuable practice time for guys to stay after on the ice and get extra reps and, and work with the coaching staff, Wilson Jr., who's our scouting director has been on the road with us, Tim Burke, who's and ass- the assistant GM has been there on the road with us working with these guys on a day-to-day basis. So there's a lot of work getting done. You know, the games are, are just a small piece of it right now in terms of a development standpoint, but um, it's been pretty impressive to see how much of a commitment they've made to try to make sure everybody is safe and make sure everybody is healthy. And, um, you know, we did have the one game canceled as everybody is aware of, but I think that was more of a precaution than anything. And, uh, we've got a couple games under our belt. And at this point, uh, weather permitting, we are off and running. So, um, I'm excited, extremely exciting to get back in the booth, be able to talk a little bit of hockey, seeing these guys in the flesh and just get some normalcy back in our lives. I know everybody's gone through it and we hope everybody's staying safe and doing okay. But, um, just to get a little bit of normalcy, I think is just good for your mental health too. So, um, been here for a couple of weeks and it's been, it's been a lot of fun so far and I'm excited to, to just continue to roll along. Well, it's going to be a sprint, um, from what we are accustomed to in terms of a season and its length. We'll play just 39 games over about a four month span. So, um, I was just saying to my dad the other day, uh, We'll get done with this road trip. Eight games will be under our belt, and that's a quarter of the season. So it's pretty remarkable to to look at it that way.
0: That's actually a really interesting way of looking at it that way, because obviously there was the one game that was canceled, but that is still a huge chunk of of games being played before you ever even get to San Jose. Um, And I actually wanted to ask you if you heard anything as to why that one game was canceled, because I did notice that uh, Tucson... I was wondering if it was like a travel restriction situation with Tucson because they only have the the three games in San Jose, at, which aren't even in San Jose, actually. Um, they were the, the first three games that were in Tucson. They don't actually travel to Northern California at all now that Stockton is gone. So I was wondering if the decision was made to cancel it so that Tucson didn't have to come to San Jose uh, later on in the year, perhaps, or or if you have any insight as to why canceled versus postponed when there are gaps in the schedule that they could have rescheduled.
1: I think this year, because the thought process by the league just in general is to try to finish this season. Um, You know, we don't even really know what's going to happen in terms of a playoff format. So, you know, there's teams that are playing different amount, uh, a different amount of games. And we're playing Texas this weekend, a team that normally plays the full American hockey league schedule and they're expected to play just 38 games. So I don't think playing 40 for the Barracuda was necessarily, you know, the yeah. end goal. That, you know, I think there was some thought that something like this could happen. Um, and if it did happen, everybody had to be adaptable and flexible with what transpired. You know, you're playing a team three times over a, you know, four or five-day period. You know, in a normal season, I think you would look to try to reschedule. This year, it's just, you know, to try to, you know, caution on the side of safety. I think the thought process, and again, I don't have a ton of, you know, inside knowledge on why the decision was made, but, you know, from my perspective, I think it was, let's cancel the game on Friday. Let's reschedule the game on Saturday to Sunday. So it gives us a couple more days. We'll continue to test these guys, make sure everybody's healthy, make sure that we don't have any sort of you know spread of this um, with the positive test that occurred the Saturday prior. So it gives you a full, eight days between games and then let's start the season and let's try to forge forward and power forward. If if you try to play games or you try to cram things in and then all of a sudden you have some sort of COVID issue where you've got four or five players, even more testing positive, then you're in, you know, a world of hurt. And and you may not even be playing 39 games. So could it happen again this season? Certainly. I think everybody's just got to be adaptable and flexible and, you know, just, Goal with the flow is kind of going to be the narrative throughout the season, I think, for everybody in the league.
0: Well, it's definitely a, a game of adaptability at this point. Uh, I mean, it started even in the preseason because and I'm going to get to this at, uh, after we recap the first couple of games. But this roster has already seen uh, quite a lot of turnover just from the start of the preseason to the end of the preseason to the postponement and cancellation of a game preseason game to then the cancellation of the regular season opener uh the last episode of in the reef turned into an hour-long episode and i'm like this is only the (laughs) preseason like oh my goodness there's so much news coming out of the ahl and we're less than a week in so uh but i do want to recap the first couple of games with you nick and and get your thoughts on what you saw because i i was listening to Cuda confidential That came out on Tuesday. That's, of course, Nick's podcast. Definitely want to check that out on sjbarracuda.com. But uh, it it almost seemed like We don't know what to make of this team so far after seeing two completely different games. But those two games were Saturday and Monday against Tucson. The first one was an overtime loss, 2-1. to Uh, I thought it was pretty fun hockey for the first two periods. Uh, Scoreless hockey, but for the most part. But um, Joachim Blickfeld, towards the end of the second period, had a pretty bad turnover in his own end, for those of you who didn't watch that game. It resulted in a two on one, and Tyler Steenbergen one timed a goal there late in the second to make it one nothing. Uh, John Leonard in the third period, a player I really want to touch up with you on. He was one of the players reassigned at the end of the AHL preseason. He was up the left side on a three on partial three on one. He got that tying goal, uh, but then unfortunately, in overtime, a bad bounce over Ryan Merkley's stick allowed Cam Deneen to skate in and score the OT winner. But on a positive, that uh, brought the, sharp, the the Barracuda unbeaten in regulation streak to seven consecutive games dating back to February 26th of last year. So the Barracuda almost went a full year without losing in regulation. So that's pretty cool. Um, did you have any thoughts about the first game before I, I get to the second one, or do you want to just kind of mesh it all together here?
1: Yeah, whatever you want. I mean, I'll touch quickly on the first game. Um, with such a long break, you know, the team did play almost six, almost six preseason games. We were supposed to play seven. We, we didn't get through the sixth one, so we canceled the seventh. But those were some really valuable games um, right. with as many players as we alluded to on the roster. Uh, so it felt like, you know, you went into that game with the thought, are we going to see, you know, a really sloppy brand of hockey? Are we going to see a lot of turnovers? Are we going to see a lot of defensive breakdowns, structural, um, you know, inefficiencies? Are, are some of these young guys going to kind of look out of place like they don't know what, what they're doing? And I, I was actually pretty impressed on how competitive it was. You, you had your turnovers. You had your odd man rushes. Um, Ozzie Weisblad had a breakaway chance in that first. Um, Kevin Watt, a breakaway chance for Tucson in that first. You saw some good grade A chances really on both sides. Overall, though, it was extremely entertaining. It was high pace. Um, I thought it was pretty high-quality hockey. Both teams very skilled offensively. Um, you look at Tucson's roster, this is a team that, when the season came to a halt last year, was in first place. And they have a lot of returners from that from that team, uh, both at the forward spot and on the defense. And then they've got a goaltender, Ivan Prozbatov, who... Got some really good reps last year, kind of splitting time with Aiden Hill, who is now up with the Coyotes on their practice squad. So this is a proven guy at the American League level that he can, you know, get wins and he, he can produce. So um, I think Tucson's going to be one of the best teams in the division uh, when everything is said and done. They've got so many returning pieces, a, a team that's won two of three Pacific Division titles. Um, you know, tip your cap to what the Coyotes have done from a prospect standpoint. Um, they've been able to, to develop players in Tucson since they brought that team from Springfield a handful of years ago. So um, they have a nice product there. They've got a nice little system going. Um, and I think it's going to be a very good team. So obviously you would like to come out of there with uh, at least one win, especially being that they are considered home games. But, um, you know, this is it's as, good sure. a test, <laughs> as, as good of a test as you're going to have. Um, going into an opening weekend with a team like Tucson that, again, has a lot of pieces that were returning. So um, I, I spoke to our uh, assistant coach, Michael Chase, on following game number two. And, um, you know, he used the word helter skelter. And I think that's going to happen throughout the year with these young players. You mentioned Merkley, I'm the puck skip over his stick, goes down for a game winner. He'll to the turnover. These things are going to happen. Right. You've got some older players who are near three, like a whole Gawax, true, you know, on the blue line, you get D Simone. these are veteran guys. You don't expect to make a lot of mistakes, but you know, a guy even like flip one pro year under his belt, a little bit of taste of the NHL level, but then you take almost 11 full months off. So you've got to expect there's going to be some mental lapse. There's going to be, you know, some, whether it's, uh, I don't know if conditioning is going to be an issue, but you would imagine just pace and timing, all that stuff's going to be um, a factor. And, um, you know, when everything was said and done after game one, I was actually, you know, I felt like I, I came away pretty impressed and, and excited yeah. what this team could do. You only saw one power play chance, but on that one man advantage, they were zipping the puck around. You know, they could roll too, too deep on that power play um, with all the skill they have. So um, you get the point in game number one and then you go into game number two um, and it kind of a seesaw game, a game that gets away from you a little bit in the second period. You find yourself in some penalty trouble And you're just, you know, you're you're toting that line of risk when you start taking too many penalties, even though the PK looked pretty good in the first, you know, game in a period. Right. And all of a sudden you're getting to your fourth or fifth penalty and you you allow one to get in and then you're down by two. And, you know, that was kind of the game after 40 minutes. You do get one back, but um, the momentum was certainly in favor of Tucson going into that third period. So. Um, an interesting weekend, as I, I mentioned to Brian Tosti during the podcast. I, I caught up with the voice of the Texas Stars, and I said, I think I'm a little bit more confused after a weekend than I was going into it, but certainly confused, but also intrigued um, because I think it's a pretty skilled group. Um, it just has a lot of youth, and youth often uh, equals, uh, you know, some mistakes from time to time.
0: Sure, definitely, and that 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 interview or conversation, I'd really put it with Brian Tosti was exactly where i was going with that where you said i almost feel more confused about this team but it's intriguing and that i i felt the same way because especially the second game i'm gonna recap this real quick but the second game was was very bizarre because i thought the first 17 minutes 16 minutes were just they were it was it was fine you know and then bang 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 like Four goals, two apiece for each team in under three minutes. Uh, Jochen Blickfeld, you know, atones for that turnover in game one uh, with a nice shot in game game two, the first period to to make it one nothing. Tucson gets two quick ones. Alex True comes right back, knocks down Brindson Pashnuk's bomb from the blue line, 2-2 going into the second. But then Tucson right away started the second, gets a goal, Barracuda killer Michael Bunting gets another one at the end of the period, and even though the Barracuda outshot uh, the Roadrunners 15 to eight, it didn't re- in that period. It didn't really feel like we really had any control of that period. And then the third period, as you mentioned, Alex True got his second goal back, and uh, and then the Barracuda gave one up late. It was a 5-3 loss. So um, I'm. It was it was interesting. It was fun to watch, because just to have AHL hockey back, of course, that's, that's, you know, anyone who's watching this show obviously loves the AHL cause you're going to have your diehard fans. So even though it was the first regulation loss in almost a year, uh, I think we can come away happy that hockey's back and look forward to a good series here with, with Texas. Um, what I want to ask you about, uh, primarily here, after the two games, after the preseason, everything like that. Today, we saw John Leonard, Jake Middleton, and Alexi Melnuchuk get recalled by the Sharks. That comes off of nine players being reassigned from the Sharks a week ago, or a little over a week ago. Can this team gel when this roster is in constant shuffle? And and I, I really think that more than maybe any team in the AHL, the NHL, AHL. I think the sharks are going to utilize their taxi squad and assigning from the taxi squad to the AHL more than anyone else. So do you think this team can find enough consistency? Cause we saw John Leonard play two good games and he immediately gets called up right off the bat. Can we see some consistency to which the Barracuda can be considered a playoff team?
1: It's going to be interesting, right, because this taxi squad kind of throws a wrench uh, in the AHL product because, you know, you've got those fringe guys every single year that are going to get call ups and then be down in the American Hockey League. But they're going up and down constantly. Well, this year now you've got these tweeners. Right. And I think the organization all season long is going to call people up to the taxi squad and send people down. I think they want to reward guys um, for their hard work, um, for their commitment. At the same time, they want guys to get games. So that's why you saw Melnichuk, Paschnik, Leonard. Leonard starting, of course, with the Sharks. But Paschnik and and Melnichuk come to mind as two guys who are on the practice squad. Then all of a sudden, when the Barracuda start playing games, they're down. He'll allow for Melnichuk to get a couple games. He had still, before joining the Barracuda, he had to get in a game with the Sharks, meaning he had never played a game in North America. Right. So, you know, we're going to see that all season long. Um, I think there's a lot of value for these young players to be around the NHO guys. That being said, I don't believe they're even skating with them. It's almost like a separate deal. Hmm. Um, but you know, there's there's going to be value just being around them, seeing that product firsthand. You know, for a guy like a Nicholas Melosh, who who has been in the American League his first couple of years, hadn't gotten an opportunity at the NHL level, gets one this year, at a great training camp, and, and earned that spot, but I think he's going to be one of those guys that we may see him in the AHL, but we'll mostly see him on the taxi squad, but eventually you're sitting on that taxi squad, you don't get games for a while, you'd expect to see him down in the American League, get some games, get some timing, um, and then maybe go back up to the taxi squad. So, you know, games are so valuable, but there are I think there is some value with the taxi squad as well, being that you are immersed, you know, in that NHL culture. It's a little bit of a a, a different beast in the American Hockey League just on how things are run and and, and the hotels and the cities. All these things um, can be become a little bit more uh, normal, I think, for some of these guys who maybe wouldn't be in the NHL this year. So John Leonard, great opening weekend in the American Hockey League. Not surprised he's back up in the NHL. Um, And he'll be in the lineup tonight for the Sharks, it sounds like. So um, a guy who the organization is extremely high on as someone who led NCAA hockey with 27 goals last year. So uh, would not be surprised if he goes up and down um, throughout the year or maybe just sticks, right? Or just sticks at the NHL level. But, you know, in his first taste at the NHL level, gets the two assists in his debut And then he goes pointless over the next six games. And I think that's going to be kind of a normal thing for a young player as he gets used to the speed and physicality of the NHL game. But that's why the American League is so valuable, because he's able to kind of regain confidence at the AHL level and then go back up. And we'll see if it pays dividends tonight.
0: Right. I agree. And with John Leonard, I mentioned this on After Dark earlier in the week or last weekend, whenever it was. These, These coronavirus days all blend together sometimes. But uh, you look at John Leonard and he was a goal scorer. That's what he did in college hockey. So to come in straight into the NHL and not score goals for seven games must feel a little bit weird for him. So I liked that the Sharks moved him back down to the Barracuda to get, you know, a little more uh, accustomed to the pro game at a slower but still fast pace, he gets that goal in game one. That's got to, you know, that's exactly what he needed. I'm a little surprised that the Sharks brought him back so quickly, but they obviously like what they've seen from him. It was just a matter, I think, of of building a little more confidence in him. So we'll see how he does with the Sharks, Uh, but I agree with you. I think he's going to platoon a lot. And with this taxi squad, it almost feels like the taxi squad has a taxi squad just because, they're going all over the place, kind of like your bus, uh, your bus ride on the ice. You're just sliding all over the place. And we'll see which roster is is uh, loaded on which day kind of thing. Um, with the three games in Texas coming up, do, are you do you think the roster will pretty much be set here? Um, do yeah. you anticipate any more moves? Um especially with the injury to Devin Dubnik. Now Alexei Melnichuk is called up. Luckily the Barracuda are carrying, were carrying three goalies mm-hmm. as most AHL teams seem to be with Zach Sachenko and Sam Harvey. Who do you think is going to get the start here? or At least a couple of starts.
1: That's a good question. Um, I mean, I would imagine it's going to be Yeah, I thought he had a pretty, a pretty solid year last year. First, first year yeah, in, definitely. uh, in the American hockey league. Um, so I would uh, I would expect Zach to get the start on Friday. And then, you know, being that it's three games over a five day span, certainly we could see Sam Harvey. And I'm excited about this young player. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy who had to go to Canadian college hockey didn't get much of a look from the pros, despite having just a stellar junior career. Yeah. Um, and the reason really being, I think, is his size or lack thereof. Um, a smaller guy, but um, this organization is not scared of smaller goaltenders. We um, saw that you know, with Sachenko
0: last year and I yeah. thought he played very well.
1: And you know what? There's some parallels between the two because Sachenko had to go play, you know, Canadian college hockey as well before earning himself a professional contract. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see Harvey because he played a little bit in the preseason. I think he got at least one game and picked up a win. So um, he has a great connection with Danny Sabbard, who's the goaltending coach with the Barracuda this year, having spent uh, several years together in Rue Naranda in the Quebec league. So, um I would imagine it would be, you know, Sazi will get the start on Friday and then maybe you, you give Harvey the start on Saturday and go back to, to Sachenko on Tuesday. Um, but uh, I guess that's uh to be determined. I get again if maybe if you win you decide to go with a guy again back to back. But um we shall see. But yes, it just increases the importance of having three goaltenders this year because There's not going to be any East Coast League call-ups this year. Um, So you've got to have extras. That's the reason why we have so many players in the roster. That's the reason why we have three goals. So, um, yeah, it it is a unique year to say the least, but it's uh, already paying dividends to have a little bit of extra depth and, you know, have guys ready to go um, because things can change as as we're seeing with Dubnik in, in a hurry.
0: Right. And right now with uh, extra players, because there are no junior leagues being playing, there's a lot of eyes on Ozzie Weissblatt, Tristan Robbins, Brandon Coe from this last draft class, and uh, Dylan Hamiluk from the 2019 draft class. Now, Hamiluk and Coe didn't play in either of those games, but you wonder if uh, being bigger bodies against the Texas forwards who it's been a while since I've looked at Texas's roster, but I kind of remember them being a bigger team up front. Uh, Do you think it's going to be kind of a a rotation with these, these young kids while they're still on the AHL roster? Or do you think Robbins and Weisblatt will get the bulk of the time, like what we saw with the first two games? I'm curious to see what the temperature is of um, the rookie deployment, because it is a unique situation having these players under 20 in the middle of the season well or in this case the beginning of the season instead of the end of the year coming in hopefully making an impact I thought Weisblatt looked very good in that first game and looked pretty good in the second game but I want him to shoot more (laughs) Uh, I'm a a true Sharks fan because I want him to shoot more I guess but I'm curious to hear your thoughts uh, about these rookies and um what you think their deployment's going to be throughout this you know for our, the duration of their time with the barracuda
1: yeah um just touching on a couple of guys that you mentioned too and, and the bigger boys and, and Coe and Hamblet i'm excited to see hamblet because he's a guy who was drafted 2 years ago he has dealt with some injury in his yeah. junior career um, i believe the year they the sharks drafted him he was coming off a major major injury so um, has the physical tools certainly to excel. Another one of those kind of tall, I would say dangly players that really needs to fill out his body uh, before he's going to play at the pro level. Um, we haven't seen I that
0: would, before, Max. So
1: <laughs> <off>. <laughs> yeah, Max, a great example. Um, you know, and I think Dylan could play in the AHL this season technically but I think it would have been a year that they would have elected to send him back. Now they could still do that if the WHL ends up getting off the ground, but um, right now that season has not started. And that's the reason why he's with us. So I didn't get in either game this, this past weekend. So I would be shocked if, uh, if we didn't see him at some point over the next handful of days. So um, again, a bigger body would be nice to see him uh, get out there. I know he had a a really strong start to his season last year in Kelowna and then kind of tapered off a little. Um, so, you know, there's a there's, you know, with a young player like that, you, you just want to, um, you know, you want to ease him into it a little bit, I think. So um, with Cole, he's been dealing with a little bit of an upper body injury, and I think that's why we didn't see him in either game. OK. Um, and then with Wiseblatt and Rob, it's two young uh, kids who came in on Sunday and brought a ton of energy on that line yeah. along with Jeff VL. Um, they were mixing it up after almost every single whistle. And These are two smaller guys, to be honest. I think they're both listed about five eleven. Um, they're about buck eighty, but they have no fear of, of getting in the mix. And I, um, I mentioned it during the broadcast, but uh, one of the words I took away from Doug Wilson Jr.'s press conference following uh, the NHL draft was him describing Ozzy Weisblatt as new age toughness. Yeah. And I think what he means by that is a guy who you know can fly, has all the offensive skill in the world, but certainly is willing to. Get in there and get his hands dirty. So, uh, Robbins has a proven track record that as well. You know, it's one thing to do that at the junior level when you're going against kids 50 to 20 years old. It's another when you're going against pros, but that didn't seem to deter either player. Um, It also is nice when you have a little bit of uh, muscle on that line as well. And Jeff Vial, who's held his own um, in the last couple seasons at the AHL level. So, um, it was a really nice, fun blend. I thought of skill and toughness and agitators and guys willing to to bang bodies and get in in the forecheck and do everything you have to do. So um, for for wise, Bite, you probably heard on the broadcast, if you had a chance to listen or watch was I was kind of alluding to the same thing. Uh, he had a he had a break where we, we had the puck roll on him a little bit, didn't get a great shot off. And then he had a two on one where he elected to kind of slide it over on a late That's pass. That's the one. And it was a little bit off target, and uh, I can't recall exactly who he was trying to get it over to. It may have been Robbins, but he kind of put it down at his feet, and it was just such a late pass that I think it caught him off guard. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, from a fan standpoint, it's like shoot, shoot, right? From a broadcast, I try not to be that too, guy, right? but in
0: that moment, and Jake McGrew had one in the first game too that I went ah. Yeah, the, I know those mistakes will or decisions will happen when you're adapting to a pro game.
1: Yeah, so. and I think it's a young player trying to defer, right? You know, being being that they're they're just getting their feet wet at this level, that you know they're they're thinking a pass. First, before shoot, and I think it'll come with time. He may shoot the next time he's on a two on one, who knows? But um, certainly, some intriguing pieces there to you know, you can see why the organization liked him where they got him um, late in the first. And then with Robbins, you know, a similar game a guy who didn't have a huge year his first year in the WHL, but he just absolutely took off last year as the number one center in Saskatoon. So, another exciting player, and it was fun to see them on a line together. And two guys we wouldn't get a chance to see in a normal season. So um, I think if they continue to play the way they do and, and continue to stick to what makes them successful, you know, they'll start producing a little bit of offense too, to go along with it. Cause they, they certainly had some chances. It just, uh, it didn't quite materialize to the point of them getting, getting uh, the puck into the back of the net.
0: Yeah. And it's pretty cool having Weissblatt and Robbins on the same line together, because I remember at the draft, Doug Wilson jr had mentioned the player who was drafted in between those two, Thomas Bordelow, he wanted them all to complement each other, hopefully on one line at some point down the line. That was their their vision for it. So to to see that come to fruition this early in their, I guess you'd say, pro careers now, uh, it's it's pretty cool. So for those of you who... Uh, you know, you you like listening to the games, obviously can't go to the games this season, but I definitely encourage you to check out AHL TV. It's a great package. It's very affordable. Uh, It's only 35 bucks for the team package and 45 bucks for the league package. So I highly recommend that. I definitely have that deck. So uh, you'll, you know, whenever (laughs) you always, you always hear from me before a a lot of the games (laughs) saying, hey, what about that? Um, I do, uh, I, I, we, we should wrap this up, but I want to talk with you about the defense too. Real quick, I want to talk about Jason, Jacob, not Jason, that's his brother, Jacob Magna being named the new captain. Um, I was not surprised in the slightest about it because he's a proven leader with San Diego and Chicago, but I was surprised that Jake Middleton doesn't have a letter at all because i thought for sure one of those two players would be the captain do you think middleton it's a situation of he's uh uh, likely to be platooning between the taxi squads that don't give him a letter versus magna's on an ahl contract he's here for good um how do you feel about the the captaincy for this year and for alternates too
1: yeah, I think you hit it on the head when it comes to Middleton. I don't think it's any sort of dig at uh, the type of leadership that Jake provides for the locker room. He's been a captain at the junior level. He's been assistant with the Barracuda. Um, you know, he's done everything that uh, Roy Sommer could ask from him over his career with the organization. And I think you're exactly right. He's going to be platooning up and down this year. He'll be on the Texas squad. He'll be the seventh. Team. He'll play in some games at the NHL level. He's probably going to be up and on the taxi squad more this year than we'll see him at the AHL level, and I think that's that's the reason behind it. Um, you know, and then with the other, you know, the other alternate captains that Nick D. Simone I think certainly deserved. Uh, Auntie Suomela, Jeff BL, Jeff field was an alternate last year. Nick D. Simone right. was as well. Um, I think it's uh, a uh, a great thing for Auntie Suomela too, being a guy who came over from Europe a handful of years ago and has been up and down and just kind of you know, is a great uh, indication on on how he has evolved, not only as a player within the organization, but also just as a man and maturing and taking that leadership role, I think is uh, extremely valuable for his career. But as far as Magna goes, he's been a captain in the American Hockey League before. Um, He has a great connection with the organization. Uh, He was coached by John Hall, who is a scout for the Sharks uh, when he was playing youth hockey uh, in the Chicago area, had a connection with the organization there. He was an assistant captain last year with the Chicago Wolves in the AHL um, under Rocky Thompson, who's now an associate coach for the Sharks. So, you know, there were people to vouch for him just to get into the organization and sign the deal um, in November. So they knew the type of character he had and what he was all about. And I think from day one of training camp, you know, he was in the locker room and he was – not scared to speak his mind and, and provide guidance. And, you know, where he felt like maybe some young guys were swaying one direction or the other. He had no problem putting them in line. And um, I think the coaches recognized that just, you know, the way he carries himself and represents the organization. I think it was a perfect fit um, again, quickly to go back to, to Jake Middleton. Certainly. I think Jake could be a captain in the AHL, but at this point in his career on a two way contract, being up and down, that that's the only, um, conclusion I can come to. I was not in the room with the coaches when they made that decision sure. <laughs> to me. Uh, you know, that's, that's gotta be the only logical uh, explanation of why he does not have a letter this year.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, a fun fact about Jake Middleton's brother, Keaton Middleton, who is now with the Colorado Eagles, uh, Colorado has given Keaton Middleton number 67, which was Jake's, former number with the Barracuda and the Sharks. So uh take that for what you will. Uh Colorado is not in the Pacific Division. Well, they're in the Pacific Division, but the Barracuda don't play them this year. Another travel situation, restriction situation, you think.
1: That's ex- I I basically that's what it is from what I was told, you know, we're playing Texas instead of Colorado, you know, okay. and I think Texas needed uh, they needed more opponents. They needed more diversity in their schedule this year with no San Antonio now in the the mix right. as they were purchased by, by Las Vegas and moved out there. So, um, you know, they needed more teams to play and, uh, you know, no Milwaukee this year in the central division. So that eliminates an option for them. So I think, you know, when they were trying to fill out their schedule, they asked and, and we, we, we were up for it and, uh, you know, from our standpoint, it's kind of fun to go outside of the division. We haven't played Texas in a couple of years, a, a former sure. Pacific Division foe. So um, a great building to travel to and um, should be a fun weekend. And it'll be six games over the over the season. So um, it'll, it'll be fun to kickstart it on Friday night. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, I mentioned I wanted to talk about more defensemen. I'm going to cut this for a future episode, so make sure that everyone subscribes if you haven't already to Tilltown USA. So I'm just going to say Nick DeSimone, keep doing what you're doing, (laughs) because I thought Nick DeSimone was great those first two games. player I thought that has kind of trended downward over the last couple of years, but... Uh, I really liked Nick De Simone's game and he looked like a player who's out to prove himself and say hey I want to be on that taxi squad if I'm not on the Sharks. So um but I'd like to talk with you about Nick on the next the next time we're on together here Nick. Uh, Let's do it. <laughs> so um, what I want to ask you here cuz I want to get your your uh, prognostications about the season before we go home. Um, is there an unsung hero to be Noted on this on this roster, maybe like a Joe gareffa definitely the smallest player on this team, but a player who scored goals with Marco Rossi last year. Like, is there someone on the roster that you look at and say, you know, he he might surprise some people?
1: I may have to get back to you on that because I've only okay. seen a couple of games, but I think gareffa would be a, a, a certainly a candidate. Uh, I know Roy Sommer's high on him. Um, he is a small player to say the least, but he is. <laughs> Jaden Hobgwak's
0: towers over Joe Gareffa.
1: <laughs> I looked in the ice and I said, who is that? I, I didn't know who it was. First of all, I was still getting a little bit used to the, to the roster. But when I saw him the first day of practice, I, I said, who is that? I, I, he was, he looked, you know, he's just not a very big guy, but um, give him credit because he was able to carve out a fabulous career in the OHL and he got into a into an AHL training camp last year with Ontario and, you know, he lit up the uh, ECHL in a short stint, went down uh, with the Allen Americans to start the year because of the delayed start to the AHL season. So he's got one game under his belt. I think uh, certainly a guy who can fill the back of the net. Um, and, uh, you know, if, he, if you put him in the right spot with the right line mates and, and he starts getting some confidence, certainly I think he, he'd be a good choice. Um, what makes me so excited about this season, and I know I know we gotta go here, but just the depth of the forward position and the youth. Um, we talk about a little bit more of a veteran blue line, which which makes you feel good too, because this has been such a young team over the last handful of years. But at the forward position, it's it's really all about youth. Um, and you know, you've got Alexander True down right now, couple goals his last game. I would expect him to be up at some point. Latunov has been down, he's been up. He's up right now. So there's kind of those fringe guys that have a little bit more experience, but the young guys, um, extremely intriguing and very talented. And if they start getting a little confidence, they get comfortable to the American League game quickly. Then I think this team has a chance to be pretty darn good.
0: For sure. For sure. So. I want to ask you where you think this team might finish. I know it's the hot seat question, but where they might finish in the division. Now I'm going to go first so that I can look like the bad guy to start and take all the heat. And then maybe maybe, Uh, You you can agree with me if you'd like, or you can bring the crowd up. But for me, I think the Barracuda are going to be finishing somewhere around fifth or sixth in the division. Not because the Barracuda are a bad team. I actually think the Barracuda are going to be a lot stronger than they were last season. But I I look at teams like San Diego. Oh, I really hope Trevor Zegos gets called up before uh, we play them in March. But uh, San Diego is looking really good. I think Henderson is going to be a good team. I know that I've debated with some people about that, but I feel Henderson's going to be a strong team. Ontario has upside. I think Tucson has... I don't think they're the best team on paper, but I think they're a very cohesive unit, as we saw in those first two games. So then you're looking at Bakersfield, who don't have to worry too much about call-ups or send-downs because the Oilers... Uh, pretty much can't given they're across the border. So I think you're looking at like a fifth, sixth situation. Please tell me, Nick, are you more optimistic though?
1: (laughs) It's going to be extremely interesting in the sense that you've already played two games and, um, you know, you've yet to pick up a win. It's going to be a 39 game schedule at this point. So if you don't turn the ship in the right direction, I think this weekend, then you're in a world of hurt. And if you win one of the three games this weekend, then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're one in four to start the season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's it, it, that's a lot of your season when you're playing just 39 games. So I think this is a very, very important weekend when it comes to, you know, this team being in that top echelon in the division. You mentioned San Diego, extremely talented, tons of top picks on that team. Zegers has been lighting up the AHL so far to start. Um They've got uh, good goaltending. They've got veterans on that lineup as well. So San Diego is going to be a, a very hard out, as they often are. Um, Henderson, I think, you know, from the small sample size we saw with Henderson, um, I think they're going to be a fringe team. I think they're around that 4-5 or five mark. Uh, okay. That being said, you know, you get off to a strong start. Who knows? But they've got guys like Danny Oregon who have proven at the AHL level that they can score. Um, but I think there's, a you know, some holes in that lineup as well. But, again, these things are very uh, to-be-determined. Uh, Bakersfield kind of, you know, one of those transitional teams. They still got a lot of guys left over from that really good team they had two years ago. Um, Joe Gambardella comes to mind as a guy who was really good that season. Um, Tyler Benson, the second rounder of the Oilers a couple years ago, is still, you know, when the season started, he was down on that roster. I don't know if he still is or he'll be a taxi squad guy this year, but there's still some pieces with Bakersfield. Bakersfield may be one of those teams that's on the outside looking in. Um, I think Tucson's going to be very good. I think we saw a good example of what they'll be. They're going to be able to score. They've got, you know, a couple of their top pieces back. So um, Ontario, I think Ontario is probably going to be on the outside looking in this year. They've got a lot of young, uh, high draft picks. The Kings um, picking where they have in the draft over these last handful of years. But, you know, with the LA Kings roster, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up, you know, having a lot of these guys get games this year at the NHL level. Yeah. Um, you know, just cause they can, um, if, if they're not in the playoff mix, uh, so again, a little bit premature, I think to decide, but I don't think you're way off. I think they're going to be around that three to maybe, you know, five range. So if you're three, you're good. You're four. You're good. Um, you're five. You're not. So, uh, we'll just have to wait and see, but I think this is a very important weekend. Again, if you, if you don't pick up at least two wins, you're, you're kind of in a, in a bad spot behind the eight ball a little bit in the division.
0: Definitely agree with you on that. I had, hadn't actually thought of how important this three-game set with Texas is, so I'm glad you brought that to light. Um, and you had a really good conversation, as we talked about earlier, with Brian Tosti on CUDA Confidential. Uh, so please talk about your podcast for a bit. Definitely promote <laughs> yourself, please.
1: Absolutely. Well, as most of you guys are probably aware, with the Sharks' 24-hour you know, streaming platform now, The Sharks Audio Network, we are going to have quite a bit of content on that. So I just had a podcast that I released that you can listen on there. And it's on demand, too, at shabaracuda.com slash confidential. But it's a 30-minute podcast with Nick Simone, kind of dives into his background. We've got one uh, with John Leonard. Um, We've also got uh, one with Curtis Gabriel. Um, I have interviewed almost everybody on our roster, so hoping to kind of release those as the season continues along. Just really behind the green, evergreen type of stuff. Um, and then every single week, we've got a 30-minute podcast. It'll be exactly 30 minutes. Most of the days, it's going to be on Mondays. This week, we released it on, uh, on a Wednesday just because of scheduling. Um, and that'll kind of determine on when we do release it. But it'll be on the Sharks Audio Network. It'll be exactly 30 minutes long. We're hoping to you know, talk to some of the other teams, whether it's a, their broadcaster, their head coach, get an idea and a scouting report leading into some of these weekend matchups. And then we'll talk to Roy and we'll talk to Bones, as we did this week, Jimmy Bono, assistant coach, and, and Michael Chason, on what players on there. And then we recap kind of the week that that was so it gives people a nice, you know, cliff notes on what just happened and what's ahead and and what to expect and a, and a pulse on the team. So, um, again, the podcast Cuda Confidential should be going out almost every Monday. We'll have another one coming out this Monday. Um, you can listen on the Sharks Audio Network or you can listen on demand at com slash listen. So we got a lot of fun stuff coming out Um Hopefully it'll give fans an idea about kind of, you know, the next future sharks, give them a better idea behind the scenes, their upbringing. Nick D. Simone is a great example. A guy who, when he was young, he got cut from multiple teams, never made a team. In the USHL ended up going back home to Buffalo, ended up playing under former Buffalo uh, Sabres captain, Michael Pecca. He gets him a division one scholarship in Union college and, the rest is history. He signed in an entry-level contract after his junior season, so he has a you know really fun, fabulous story, and he's a great guy, and you know really talkative and articulate. So we've got a lot of fun stuff coming out. So hopefully you guys are able to listen. Hopefully it'll give you kind of a behind the scenes and more more knowledge about the Sharks prospects and kind of the future of, of the Sharks.
0: Yeah, that Nick De Simone interview was really good. I listened to that over the weekend, and and uh, he's a very personable guy. And uh, I'll say hi to his mom, Cindy, who follows me on Twitter. So, (laughs) but, uh, you know, on the last episode, uh, I packed a lot in. And after 13 months, I thought it was kind of a runaway freight train episode. So this one was also really packed, but it was nice to be able to converse with you, Nick. It's really, uh, you know, great insight that you bring us and uh, good to be able to just bounce info back and forth, so I appreciate that. Um, a couple of things, real quick, small things here. Uh, has Yosef Koronash finally become Yosef Uh, Because I know officially in Czech it's Kozianash, but it's never quite translated to, over to North America. So I'm curious on that.
1: Uh, so I had Randy Hunt text me the other day. He said, how do you say his last name? And I said, I'm gonna reach out to him and, and, and triple confirm because we've been calling him Koronash for the last couple of years. Um, you know, most of the organization says Coronar. So I asked him. Um, he said Koshanash. So I still don't know if I'm getting that 100% spot on, but I recorded it and I said it about a dozen times, and I sent it to Randy and I said, "Randy, you could run with this. Good luck." Uh, I had Dan Rusinowski reach out to me about three or four days ago, and he was like, "Wait a minute, Randy's telling me this is how you say the name," and I said, "Hey." Here you go. Here's the soundbite. And, uh, he said Kojanash. So, um, when he plays in a game with the Barracuda again, this year, we're going to say Kojanash, and we will, uh, have to inform some of the fans who might be a little bit confused on who's playing in the net because, uh, they're going to be like, did we get a new prospect? Did we get somebody <laughs> new on the roster? No, it's Yosef Kojanash. So, uh, yes. not Yosef Kornash. So, uh, um, yeah. well, it, it's, it's not Kornar. It's, to,
0: it's not Kornar. It's definitely
1: not Kornar, but, yeah. uh, I'm excited to tell other broadcasters in the division who uh, it took them a couple of years to get down that I have a new pronunciation for them.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I I love that. Yeah, because um, uh, everyone on Teal Town USA knows that I'm I'm a stickler for pronunciation and uh, and audio. So uh, cool that we got this official confirmation here. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, We're going to have a lot more to talk about throughout the season, fans, so be sure to subscribe to us and have the alerts turned on. Our shows here in the Reef, you know, Cuda Confidential is every week. In the Reef is, we try to do them every couple of weeks, but it's kind of here or there. So you definitely want to subscribe and set your alerts so that you don't miss the next time that we're on together. Um, Because I love having these shows. They're a lot of fun. I hope they're a lot of fun for you. Uh, Nick, and for you, the fans. So um, until next time, I just want to leave you with this. It's a quote from, well, it's a, me paraphrasing, a quote from Brian McCormick from CUDA Confidential. He's the play by play voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. The AHL it's an opportunity to see the entire evolutionary arc of a player's development, not just from within your own organization, but also within other organizations in your conference that you see all the time. And that is why I love the AHL so much, why I love development leagues, why I go to San Jose Giants games. Uh, I just love watching the evolutionary arc of these players. So when we can go back into SAP center to, to see these games. And then eventually at solar for America ice, Uh, I definitely encourage you to do so because you could say, I saw Ozzie Weissblatt score four goals in a game. Maybe no pressure, Ozzie uh, (laughs) at the AHL level. So, um, but that's, that's why I love the AHL thing. Stories like that. So I thought that was a great quote from Brian, but until next time, we'll see you in the reef.